Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast. My name is Luke Staten. The reason behind this creation is to share words of wisdom, hope and optimism through conversation that can show us just what's possible in life. I've been truly inspired by the words I have not only listened to, but deeply heard from the people I've shared conversations with. I hope you enjoy hearing how everyday people overcome trials and tribulations and when faced with adversity, find a way to use this to their advantage. Common theme throughout, from all the different guests on the series, from wherever they are from, whatever beginning, whatever background, is they all have a desire for more from life. They all want to live a life of fulfillment. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I do creating. Thank you for joining me. Harry, thank you for joining us. Thank you. For those that are watching and listening, Harry's a presenter on radio, um, born in London, grew up in Shrewsbury. And I'm really interested. My first question, which I've been dying to find out is, how do you go from London to Shrewsbury? Let's start there. Uh, I mean, it wasn't necessarily my choice. I moved from London when I was four because uh, of mum and dad's kind of business. Uh, then just grew up in Shrewsbury, went to school there, uh, did college, did everything like that. Um, so it wasn't really much of a kind of choice for me to be like, hey, Shrewsbury seems like the place to be. Um, but still met some amazing people, uh, did some great things there. It's kind of where I started off, like my kind of creativity. Uh, I did photography and I did ceramics and like PE and business at school. Uh, I was absolutely rubbish at all the educational stuff, but in terms of creativity, I really excelled, did really well in photography. And that was kind of like where I wanted to go. And Shrewsbury being such a beautiful small town, it was quite nice to kind of be quite creative in photography and, you know, um, do, do that kind of stuff. Whereas I feel that if I was in London, um, you still can find some great places, but I don't know. It's where where my kind of creativity kind of blossomed. Really, I wasn't kind. I didn't really have much of a competition, but yeah, that was good. And, and what was the family business, Harry? So dad owns his own business in like luggage. Um, so mum kind of like helps out with the business, but dad's like the main kind of CEO of it. So you're kind of like airport luggage bags. He used to work in women's accessories and kind of moved on to men's and then kind of progressed into the luggage side of it so he's always been quite business fronted uh so obviously when I was at school he wanted me to do business because he wanted me to kind of take over the family business uh and things like that but it just didn't clock <laughs> I couldn't couldn't understand what was going on in any of my business classes and all I was doing really and I ended up getting a nickname called Doodles because uh, I used to just doodle on my uh, notepad. Uh, so I suppose that's where the creativity kind of came from. But yeah, dad's business is in luggage, essentially, import, export, stuff like that. And what was that like growing up with a, a family business? Uh, it was it was good. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, when I was younger, I kind of wanted to get into the whole business side of it. I wanted to kind of take over dad's business. Like I was quite into like PR. I love talking to people. I love finding out people's uh, stories and things like that and what made them tick uh, and that's why I love doing what I do at BBC introducing like finding out people's stories and uh, you know listening to their music finding out why they wrote it um, so yeah no it was, it was fine um, 
I didn't really I didn't really feel much pressure to be fair to kind of take over the business. My family were always quite supportive of what I did. Um, but yeah, so it's fine to be to be honest. And at what stage did you start to realise you had this kind of creative way about you when you you know nicknamed Doodles? At what point did you start to realise actually? you know i'm thinking of different things and maybe the business element isn't for me uh definitely it was in my last two years of school it was when i was doing photography and ceramics it was that was kind of the point where i was like i was actually excited to kind of get up and go to class where is when i was like oh i went to boarding school so i was in school and did all that um so kind of like getting up and being like oh I've got business first thing in the morning I'm like oh I don't want to do that but when I knew that I had photography uh we got full full kind of reign to do what we wanted to do and that was when it started then I went to Bournemouth Arts College and did photography so I pursued it that's what I wanted to do um and then I, I loved I did, so I did a year's foundation in Bournemouth Arts College loved it past that, went into Birmingham City University, which I graduated about four years, five, four years now. Um, so yeah, photography was kind of like the aim that I wanted to get into. I still had like a massive passion for music and things like that. So I wanted to get into the kind of music photography side of it. I wanted to create these cool album covers that, you know, people put out and, you know, I wanted to meet all these famous people not necessarily like through a kind of one-one situation, but like kind of in the backgrounds and taking the photos and, you know, getting an idea of what they wanted to do from that. Um, so that's where I kind of like sparked my kind of creativity passion. It was, it was crazy. Uh, and at Bournemouth Arts College, we, you had like a kind of, you either did one straight thing. So you could, you could have chosen like photography, for example, or I could have done this broad course. So you could do, um, film, uh, film, photography, graphic design, fashion, you could do loads in like the whole creative scheme. So I kind of took to myself and thought, I love photography, but I can also do that with also trying to find out what other kind of avenues I might want to get into. Because I was 18 at the time and I was like, you know, I, I love photography and I loved all that, but I was like, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm still young. And, you know, I want to find out if photography really is the one thing that I want to do. But um, later on, I found out that photography really wasn't what I wanted to do. So it was quite nice that I chose this broad course and, um, and yeah, I looked into different avenues and found out that there were other creative skill sets that I had. So, yeah. And what was it, do you think, Harry, what, what was it about the photography that you really enjoyed? It, uh, it's I don't really know how to describe it it was kind of like finding beauty out of like really mundane stuff I think would be the best way for me to describe it uh landscapes were like a big passion of my photography kind of life uh I love taking portraits but I found it really hard to kind of like take pictures of people um but I think that's because I was at school and all my classmates weren't really kind of like on the same level let's say of like I sound, I sound like I'm bragging really badly. I'm not uh, on the same wavelength. So like I was trying to do some sort of um, like album cover type project and I had to paint one of my friend's faces and he just wasn't on board of it. So then I had, like I was thinking, oh, how am I actually going to do it? Um, but then after that, landscapes was really good. I found like just 
as I said, beauty out of the mundane kind of stuff, the kind of day-to-day things that you kind of take a little bit for granted, just walking down the street, um, sunsets, even railings, or like people who are just sitting on their own on a bench. Like, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but that's what really kind of caught my caught my interest. And, and, yeah, and I can totally relate to that because sometimes, you know, especially being away this week in the Lake District, you can, you can be walking, and you can just see something that you could just walk past if you're rushing to get somewhere, or you can actually see something and start to ask questions about how did that happen and how where was it formed and who created it. Whatever I've been looking at over the last seven days, I've seen so many incredible things that I've actually stopped and read and looked and observed and, and really got myself into that kind of role play of, I wonder who lived here, because I went to look at a castle recently. Well, I'm actually staying in a tent on a castle grounds. So no, it sounds it. really luxurious. When people say, where are you staying? I tell them I'm staying at Muncaster Castle and everyone's like, wow. And I'm like, listen, don't get ahead of yourself. I'm staying in a tent uh, in the garden. <laughs> but the benefit of that is you get a free pass to walk around the castle gardens and the grounds. And then on Monday, I was fortunate to have a tour of the castle. And it's been family owned for the last 800 years. And I walk into to the library and it's the most magnificent thing I've ever seen in my life and I'm stood there and there's thousands and thousands of books in this place and it's just remarkable and in my mind I'm thinking I wonder what it was like here hundreds and hundreds of years ago I wonder who sat here I wonder what the books say I wonder which is the oldest books and your mind starts to go into all this creative thinking into the store and you start to picture who may have sat there and then they take you on the tour and they start to tell you more of the detail of the people that sat in the chairs that you're looking at and the portraits on the wall. And it fascinates me. So I can understand where your passion comes from when you say you look at something and sometimes you look at it and you can walk past it. But if you really look at it, you can see things that you may never have seen before. What was boarding school like? Uh, before, before I get into what boarding school was like, I do want to say if you're, if you're interested in photography and in kind of what I was talking about, um, I've really got to kind of big up one of my friends called Barney Curran. He's a really good amateur photographer. And what I was talking about, he really captures that. Uh, so maybe after this, if you want to go look him up on the internet or on Instagram, uh, his photography is crazy. But we'll get him on. We'll get him on the programme, Harry. Please do. Yeah, I bumped it. Well, I went to school with him, um, funnily enough. Uh, uh, but yeah, he, he kind of took the photography route a lot harder than I did. Um, Photogra- photography boarding school was weird a lot of people say to me they're like oh was it really like what you see in harry potter um <laughs> yes and no uh it's it's cool because you can kind of your life spent around your friends and you kind of really get an understanding of who you are and you know how you kind of like look on life and things like that because you don't see your parents every day you don't see your parents every weekend uh we used to have these things called exiats where you could go and see your family but then there are international students at the school who you know come from like china and um all places across the world and obviously for them to go on like an exiat which is a weekend away like back good to go back home they'll cost an absolute fortune and you know if you're traveling to china or australia or something like that it's going to take up most of the time so it kind of, you know, it was, it was hard to, you know, get used to it. But the great thing about it was when I went to university, it was really easy for me to kind of just adjust. Um, and it was quite nice for me to kind of lend a little bit of a, 
shoulder to cry on or like a word of advice when you know people at university were like this is my first time ever away from the family uh, and things like that so it really does kind of build you up to kind of be who you are but also you know it makes you very independent essentially like you can you can choose whatever road you want to go down it was it was it was also quite brutal there were can some uh, some cool cool and crazy stories at boarding school but you know, maybe that's for another time <laughs> <laughs> what age did you go to boarding school i mean every time every time someone asks me this question and i give them my honest answer they're always like did your parents hate you is this why they sent you off to boarding school um i they didn't my parents loved me a lot i was eight slash 10 when i was when i went to boarding school so i so i boarded for like 10 years of my life um when I was like eight to 10, it was very on and off. It was kind of more like if my parents were busy doing something in terms of business, if they had to go somewhere, then, you know, my school provided a kind of boarding system where you kind of paid for the night. Um, but yeah, no, boarding school was, boarding school was cool. Um, yeah, I don't really know how else to describe it. Uh, Hogwarts-esque type thing. But yeah, I went to an all boys school. So that was quite weird. Um, but yeah, um, I think the main thing is whatever your educational background is that you find what's right for you and, and it helps you find the right path and it helps you develop your independence. See, like you've spoke around there, because if you're not developing independence as a young person, what you're going to do when you have to become independent. So do you think the career that you're in now in terms of BBC radio presenting and having conversations with people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds? Do you feel that going away at the age of eight to 10 and being in a place that you didn't know anybody and you've got to make new friends, you've got to communicate, you've got to listen, you've got to learn. Do you think that you learn at a young age how to mix with all different people and that's maybe assisted you in what you're doing now? I mean, definitely, yeah. I mean, I boarded all the way until I was 18. So um, really kind of did see, and I, and I boarded at two different schools. So there was like the, my primary boarding school and then my secondary boarding school um, and kind of like going into a new school at the age of 13 and then having to make new friends again. Whereas people would normally like go from one school into college with their same friends. That was kind of <clears throat> a little bit awakening in terms of, you know, you've got to re you got to redo it again. Um, but yeah, the I can't remember what your question was. Oh, the recycling on the BBC thing. Yeah, like it's I've always been a bit of a chatterbox. I've always liked to find out what people's stories are. So for me, it was quite easy to make friends. It was quite easy to kind of get along with people. People did find me a little bit weird because I asked very weird questions every now and then. Like, what kind of animal would you be if you were? Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's it. In terms of like translating like the stuff that I got taught and the stuff that I did when I was at boarding school to the stuff that um, I do now at BBC, like I had to obviously the whole independence thing was a was a thing, but also talking to the talking to like the teachers and talking to the adults were, was kind of I feel like a little bit different because you're constantly with them. You were you had like your housemaster, you had your boarding house like masters and things like that. So being able to talk to people obviously did translate when I went to the BBC. Uh, I don't really, really know how to describe it, but yes, it did. That's it, God's honest truth, yeah. 
It was quite. And I'm not. Sh- I'm not <clears throat> sure you actually know it until people ask you the question. I ask you the question because often people ask me the question of, you know, you seem to get on with people and, and have good conversations, and that I've started to wonder why does how did that happen? And like yourself, I left home very young as well to pursue a, a sporting career. So you get put in situations and environments that you know, people of your age maybe didn't do at the age of 9, 10, 11, 12, where you're left in a room and your parents leave you for a week or whatever, and you've got to find your way and you've got to earn the respect from people by what you do. And the challenges that you face, I think, does serve you well later on in life. It can also scar you as well if it doesn't go so well. So at what point did you start to get the idea of, I would love to be on radio? Uh, That was when I was probably about 16. Um, just listening to the radio in the car with my parents, um, which kind of contradicts what I was saying earlier with the whole photography thing. But I kind of thought, would a career in radio actually work out? And then I kind of put that on the back burner because I absolutely love photography. But <clears throat> it was it was actually when I went to Birmingham City University as well, when um, I actually ended up doing photography in my first year and hated it. Uh, it was a teacher that really, really put me off. Uh, she was really biased towards certain like students in the class. And I remember looking at some of the people's work and I was like, that is absolutely fantastic. And the teacher would just poo-poo it and just say, no, that doesn't deserve a good, a good grade. And, I, and I, I didn't want to chat back to the teachers, but in my head, I was like, what are you going on about? And it's the same that happened to my work. And she had her own kind of, as I say, bias of, what kind of art and what kind of photography she enjoyed. So some students kind of went down the route of, oh, I know exactly what she wants. So I'm going to do that because I know it's going to get me a good mark. So after that, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to bother with photography anymore. I can still do it as a hobby. I still love it. Uh, And maybe one day I could pick up the camera again. So similarly with uh, Bournemouth Arts Uni, uh, BCU, Birmingham City University, allowed you to either specialise in something or you could do a broad course. So I ended up doing events, TV, radio, uh, and PR, uh, which obviously goes back to me and dad's business. PR didn't work out just because didn't like the educational side of it. Uh, TV I liked. Uh, so TV and radio in my last year of uni were the kind of like forefront of what I really wanted to do fell in love with radio it was just amazing to be able to find cool stories to chat about within the city find cool people to interview find events and musicians within the city center well within the west midlands who were doing amazing chatting to them and i just kind of fell in love with the, the like just how fun it was and just how free it was to kind of build up your own radio show uh both in like entertainment and specialist radio. So I did a radio show, which was all to do with indie music. And uh, yeah, I loved it. It was great. So that was when I really like got into like the passion of radio uh, and it kind of just excelled from then. I did a TV stint in London about three years ago, which really solidified the fact that I hated TV. Uh, so yeah, from that was uh, was uh, the kind of, the, the forefront of me being like radio is what I want to do. Like TV, yeah. I did not like it at all. If any of you want to get into TV, I'm not saying don't ever do it. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I think that's the, that's the point. 
everybody's different with everything that they want to do, isn't it? What what appeals to them may not appeal to somebody else. Just before I dive deeper into the the radio channel and the genre that you've chosen and that you talk about music quite a lot within you know, the, the radio selection that you've gone down and music's been an area and a topic for you talking about artists that you wanted to meet and speak to. Just to rewind slightly um, where you talked about your teacher and your photography room. And I, I find it really crazy. I find it really sad, really, that somebody could walk into a classroom with a real passion for something and that passion be taken away because it's not delivered in the right way. You know, and, and everybody delivers things in their own way, of course. But for you to enter that room full of energy, desire and passion for a specific topic that you love, it's your hobby, to then leave it because of a teacher, it, it, it kind of blows my mind that. And do you think if the teacher would have been more kind of comfortable to communicate with and to work with, do you think that you would have enjoyed the course or do you think it was actually the person that you didn't enjoy, not the course? I mean... I've always been a bit of a stickler of if I enjoy doing something where I'm with people I enjoy doing it with, uh, I do enjoy doing that more. And if I'm with people who I hate, not hate, but if I do things with people that I'm not necessarily enjoying doing it with, then it kind of really bums me out and kind of puts me to the point where it's like, do I really want to do this? Uh, it happened when I did cricket when I was back at, when I was younger. Uh, and it happened with the photography thing. And yeah, I mean, if she if she had more of a kind of positive mindset and more of a communication with other students and wasn't so biased, I feel like I would have enjoyed it more because there was a freedom to what the class offered. Uh, so she was like, you could pick whatever you want, which I enjoyed. She wasn't like, this is what you need to do. Go out and find it because, you know, in, in, in a uni kind of level, um, you know, you're you're at you're at the the stage where you branch off and you find who you are and what you actually really want to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now she 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 really bummed me out with that. But in a way, I'm really blessed that that actually happened because I am incredibly happy with where I am at the moment. Uh, I'm incredibly happy with everything. I'm enjoying my life so much; it's crazy. Um, so you know, <laughs> every 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 cloud has a silver lining. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The reason I pick up on that topic is we, we do a lot of work with young people in schools and it's it's so powerful that if that one teacher gets it right, how it can really impact a young person's life forever. And if they get it wrong, how it can also change their path forever, too. And like it's done yours, however, you've managed to find a, a positive spin on that because you've got an optimistic way of thinking. You can see and feel that just from listening to you today. But there'll be lots of people listen to this that um have been put off from a career path or an opportunity because of one person's word or one person's way of speaking to them or, or sharing or teaching whatever that was and i think it's really sad that people can be swayed off their path because of one person and if it was somebody else how different it could have been and, and i guess a message for everybody listening is if you are going through a similar experience to harry don't let that one person take you off the path that you're on you know find another person to be your mentor to be your coach because i think that is really, really great. We find that person that inspires us. Like, if I wanted to go on radio and you're my mentor, I'm going to love radio because you love radio. And we'll find a way to connect because it's not about you. It's about you facilitating where I want to get to. And yeah. I think sometimes teachers, uh, and I'm generalizing, the minority of teachers 
they maybe have been in it for so long that they're teaching the way that they're not inspired by themselves. So how are they going to inspire you? But if you get in front of a teacher that's passionate about what they do, it's infectious on the class. Even if the class don't like the subject, they enjoy the class and then maybe come to enjoy the class the subject because of how passionate the teacher is. Um, so moving forward onto the radio. So you decide to go into radio. What was your first breakthrough? What was the first moment that you're like, yes, I've made it to radio? I'm not going to lie. It was when uh, I got my BBC introducing gig um, with Alex Noble and Tim Senna and Thea, who's not with BBC introducing anymore, but um, uh, still with us in the kind of grand scheme of things about BBC. But that was when that, that was when I really thought, oh, my God, I've 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 like made it. Uh, or, well, I was a volunteer at that point. So it was more like a kind of, oh, my God, I've got a foot in the door with the BBC. Like, this has been my dream for so long. Um, I remember, <laughs> it's quite funny, uh, when, when I actually got told by Alex uh, Noble that, you know, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah come, come shadow. I ran out this venue uh, almost in tears and ran my mum and I was like, mum, I've got it! Yeah! And she was over the moon. Uh, but yeah, essentially it was when I went to the Birmingham Music Awards because I knew that Alex and Tim were there. And I was like, I'm going to go there with an open mind, try and talk to them. And my, my, in, my aim for that night was to just ask, what's the best way to get into radio? Because uh, at this point I was working at a community radio station down in Hales Owen, um, which was the first kind of like radio gig that I really got after uni. And it was essentially just trying to find out from them what would be the next step to kind of progress. Uh, Alex was hosting this Birmingham Music Awards, which was going on for a good couple of hours. And he was absolutely shattered by the end of it. And I saw him, he was on the balcony above me. And I was like, do I go talk to him? Do I not? And uh, Tim then walked past me. So I grabbed Tim and I was like, oh, hi, mate, how are you doing? But he just won the BBC, uh, not BBC, he just won the Birmingham Music Awards for best radio presenter. So he had all these people trying to talk to him. So I kind of nearly gave up hope being like, there's just not a chance that I'm ever going to be able to talk to these guys. I may as well just email them tomorrow. And as I was kind of like heading towards the door, I stopped myself and I went, you're going to really, really kick yourself if you don't take this opportunity to even try and talk to them. So I turned around, I went to the bar, I got a drink, a bit of Dutch courage, just, yeah. Um, not promoting drinking, just saying, just, yeah, a bit of Dutch courage. Anyway, uh, <laughs> went to the bar, saw Tim again, and I grabbed him and was like, mate, can I have a conversation with you? He's like, yeah, yeah, just be quick. And I was like, how, how can I get into radio? Uh, we had like a brief conversation, and then one of his friends like took him away before he could even answer my question. So I was like, okay. Uh, and I saw Alex, and he was still standing on the balcony, and he was just zoned, just looking into the distance. And I was like, I'm going to go talk to him. So I walked up the stairs. He looked down, saw me. And I was like, oh, this is Alex Noble, the presenter of BBC Introducing in the West Midlands. And he's like, you're right, mate. And I went, Alex, I just want to say you did a fantastic job today. Um, you're a bit of an idol of mine. And, you know, I really want to get into radio. Um, have you got any kind of, you know, pointers or any information that you could give on how to get into the position you are? And he's like, why don't you come shadow me? And I was like, what? And he was like, here's my email. Here's my phone number. Uh, we record on Wednesdays. Uh, just come in, come into the office, come into the studios and, you know, we'll give you the tour. We'll have a little chat, blah, blah, blah. 
And that's when he was and that's when I was like, oh my God. And he said to me, he's like, right, I've got to go, mate. And I was like, okay, no worries. Ran out that venue, as I said, in tears, rang my mum and was like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, when that Wednesday, had a really good chat with Alex, kind of took my notebook and I was just wanting to just soak up every ounce of BBC that I could. So I did, spoke to him about absolutely everything. And then I think the ne- he, he said to me, he's like, oh, do you want to come next week? And I went, yeah, yeah, of course. So I was like, if I can do anything to kind of like stick around and that'd be great. And he's like, all right. And then next week he was like, oh, we're going to send you to a, to a gig and we really want you to interview them. And I was like, what? Uh, and he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you seem like a really nice guy. You seem like you've got your head on your shoulders. We really want you to go to this gig and interview uh, a band for the show. And that was when I was like, I've, I've bloody made it. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. All from the courage to go and speak to the guys that you you idolise. You know, I've been in them situations and it is a daunting thing, isn't it? When you can feel it, you're like, I want to do it. But actually, in that moment there, and I can hear you when you're talking, you're trying to justify not going to talk to them. Oh, they're really busy. They've had a hectic night. I'll email them tomorrow and tomorrow they've got a thousand emails. They never see your email. And then for the rest of your life, you're thinking, why didn't I just go and say hello and have a conversation? And I really admire that you you pulled up, forget the alcohol that maybe supported you <laughs> slightly. The courage that it took to do that is why you are now no doubt sat where you are, because yeah. I, ha- I wonder how many people come across that moment and just take the easy road and justify not taking that step. Yeah, I mean, it's like I've always kind of had a bit of a mantra and I really bless my parents and my grandparents, well, my family really for it. They've always said, like, never say no. Um, And it was also after when I watched the film Yes Man with um, Jim Carrey, I think it is. Uh, I I tried it out for a week and, you know, things went really well. Things also went badly because my friends were like, give me a hundred quid. And I was like, ha ha. Um, But... Yeah, like I've, I've always had a bit of a mantra of just saying, you know, I, you're going to kick yourself if you say no to anything that you might be um, interested in, which kind of goes back to the whole uni thing of, you know, me doing broad course, because I, I could have done a specialist course and done photography and I couldn't have been where I am now. Um, and then likewise, with the whole story of meeting Alex and Tim, if I had gone home, I wouldn't be sitting there. So, yeah. Amazing. I love it. And where's the love for, for music come from then? Um, funnily enough, I think I don't actually know. I, I don't actually know because my parents aren't massively into music. I, uh, I think it might have been my uncle and auntie. I vividly remember um, being in a car on the way back from seeing our grandparents and they, they showed me meatloaf for the first time. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And I told them to play Bat Out of Hell on repeat for the whole two and a half hours that we were driving, which they kind of regretted, but it, it was cool. Uh, my dad always used to listen to classical music, which was, I think, the start of me appreciating music because it was a lot of like opera and um, he was that really famous Italian. Pavarotti. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, listened to a lot of that and... And then I think just being at school, I th- one of the one of the things like pastimes at school, especially at boarding school, because we didn't have any TV or anything like that, was either swapping music or playing sport. And as much as I love sport, 
um, there were times where I was just like, I just want to sit in my room. And I remember I was with this guy called, I was sharing a dorm room with a guy called Ricky. And he showed me a really cool acoustic version of, oh my God. I can't remember who it is now, but it was just that kind of thing and just sharing music. And then I got into folk music, started looking into like YouTube holes of every single folk artist that was out there. Um, and yeah, it just kind of deep dived into a lot of YouTube sitting on my bed in my dorm room because I had nothing else to do uh, and just fell <laughs> in love with music. Uh, I, I think I think I've always had a passion for it, but I think it really yeah. kind of honed in when I was at school. And I saw, I saw a, a picture of you, Harry, stood in front of some, I think it was graffiti, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I think it was Notorious B.I.G. Be, behind you, and your arms are in the air, and it's like you I think you was launching a new uh, project, which we'll come on to in a minute, about people from Birmingham accepting, you know, words about people from Birmingham and their responses, which I thought was really interesting. So when you're stood in front of that, do you, are you a, a fan of hip hop and rap music? Because I love I love stories like you do. You know, it's my whole life. It kind of I've always enjoyed listening to stories. I've always enjoyed telling stories. And when I was young, I always remember being sat with my friends, and they used to say, "Luke, that that story that you told, I remember that story." And you've added so much in to make it sound so much better. And I'm like, well, nobody wants to hear the original because the original was quite boring. But sometimes with a story, if you can fluff it up a little bit, it becomes a magnificent one. And so from a young age, I used to love the impact of what a story can have. And you and I will both be able to remember stories that we've probably heard from 10, 15 plus years ago, whatever age we all are that's listening to this. So in front of that photograph, when you're stood there with Notorious B.I.G., do you do you find there's a certain genre of music where you take most of your inspiration from with stories that you hear? Because obviously rap music, a lot of the words that you hear, it is story. You know, it is about life, real life and obviously exaggerated at some point. But which genre would you say that you take most inspiration from to find out more about story? You know what? That's such a great question. It kind of almost reminds me of the question of, like, oh, what's your favorite music? Which I hate because, you know so it's not really one mind uh, one no, yeah do you know what I mean? um if i'm going to be honest i would say uh that's tricky um folk music probably but like pop folk a lot of passenger mumford and sons um but i did used to watch a lot of the kind of like hip hop uh films so like two packs all eyes on me um 50 cents one uh Biggie's one and I, I enjoyed the kind of inspiration it gave me of you know people who have come from nothing to being these huge stars yeah um, and the kind of choices that they made throughout their life that could have been good or bad uh, and then I remember listening to one song by Passenger called Bullets uh, which is a really beautiful story behind it about a guy who didn't have any like he didn't really have anything of value in his house and um, uh, some people robbed his house and all he had was these bullets <clears throat> and they took the bullets which had no worth whatsoever uh, and they couldn't sell them on um, but essentially that was what he had that's what he held as like sentimental value and I just thought that was a really beautiful story and just that's what I love about folk is that it's really storytelling and you know it's, it's to do and it's similar with country like country music's all about 
you know, uh, music that's that, that's happened in your life. Uh, and this is what I love about hip hop as well. Um, yeah, I think the storytelling is the stuff that really got me got me into music. But I'd say what kind of folk would be the one. Folk. Okay, yeah. I would listen to that. Say, uh, "Bullets by a Passenger." Is that what you said? Mm. You, I don't think you'll be able to find it on Spotify, but if you go on YouTube, you'll be able to find it. And not going to lie, had a bit of a cry when I first listened to it because it is just very emotional. Um, even though the story's nothing to do with me, you can kind of like put yourself in the position of the guy who was this old man who's just sitting in his house getting robbed. And it's just like, why have you taken these bullets from World War II that have no meaning to you whatsoever, but you've taken them just for the fun of it? Baffles me still, but it's very emotional. But that's the power of story being told well, isn't it? The impact, you, you, do, you don't know who it is, you don't know anything about it, but the story being told in the right way has left an impact on you for you to share it years later to the audience that's listening to you today. And that, that's just a real powerful story of how story can leave an impact for many years. Yeah, I mean, this is what I talked to, well, a lot of the musicians that I've interviewed on, on BBC Introducing, They've all, well, not all, but some of them have said that, you know, the lyrics they write are for themselves, but can be translated to other people. So if they're feeling in a similar way, then, you know, um, the music should should help. And uh, I was interviewing someone the other day and it was something about mental health. Um, and we ended up just talking about mental health for ages after the interview, um, because it translates for me, like I've got OCD, so... So yeah, we were just talking about the lyrics and he was like, oh, did you find like a little bit of yourself in these lyrics? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, good, because that's what I want to bring to the table. That's what I want to bring in my lyrics. Um, yeah. That's that's what I love. I mean, storytelling and music's always, like, I mean, oh, I don't know. It's, I was going to go into saying about music these days, but it's so hard to say because, you know, it's so, everyone, everyone's opinion is so different and everyone's taste is so different. Like yeah. I, I've got a very eclectic music taste, but the one genre that I wouldn't sit down and casually listen to is like heavy metal and screamo. But I have an amazing appreciation for it because the amount of vocal training that goes into that kind of music is crazy. And, you know, a lot of the musicians who are in that kind of genre um, sometimes lose their voice and, you know, that could be their career done. So there's a big appreciation, but... I just wouldn't, if I was sitting in my living room with my mates, I wouldn't be like, let's go listen to Slipknot. Yeah. I like yeah. to the drummer, by the way. Yeah, and, and you don't have to enjoy it to appreciate the expertise and the skill and talent that it takes to create it, do you, you know? Yeah. Um, just just listening to you there, and, you know, I think the, the art of storytelling and the art of music is that, people listen and can relate it to them in their way in some format you might not eat you might not have been through the same things you might not even know the person saying the words but a part of that is that you can put into your story and you can relate to them and that's how i think a great musician a great writer a great artist whether you're doing a painting as an artist or you're writing a story you can connect with the people looking or and listening in a way that not everybody can and when you can connect with people like that I think that was that, that's why your terms about passenger and bullets because you've connected to the words even though you have no kind of emotional buy-in to the people you felt something i think that's so powerful and yeah. just as just as you mentioned there harry you talked about mental health 
and you talked about, you know, yourself with, with OCD. How does OCD affect you in what you do? What, what challenges does it bring? And what gift does it bring also? Because often our gift can be a curse and vice versa in, in many formats. I mean, I think for me, it's, it's, a, it's a, an in individuality is, is what I like to say. Like I never, I hold, I hold my OCD uh, as a bit of a badge of honor because it, it, you know, puts me apart from, from other people. Um, and I think that was more throughout the progression of me trying to get over the fact that I do have OCD. Um, essentially, it's OCD, it's heightened anxiety in a form of OCD. So um, intrusive thoughts and things like that. So that's where the challenge comes in, because I could be doing, um, I don't know, I could be filling up my water bottle, for instance, and a bad thought could go into my head and I'd have to refill it. <clears throat> Whereas... So the challenges are like repetition. Uh, so even doing like my radio shows pre-recorded, there'll be times where I'd have to re redo a link because I wasn't happy with it or I had a bad thought or something like that. So, but it, it provides quite a good, I don't really want to say story. It's like I'm not trying to glorify it at all because um, it is hard. And I know that, you know, other people have similar kind of forms of OCD. And this is what I've did on my podcast. I tried to, you know, bring to light what, what OCD is. Because when I first got it, people were like, oh, but you're not clean. And I was like, it's, that's not what it is. Like, that's a form of it, but it's not what it is. So in terms of challenges, it is hard and it does get to the point where it does some somewhat get in the way of a lot of the stuff I do. Um, especially when, like, I'm in a highly stressful situation where obviously working for the BBC and having to go interview people can be quite a stressful thing. But um, I've got ways of overcoming it uh, in my own little sense. And I think the beauty of what I'm doing and the fact that I love it so much really does kind of like take the stress away a bit. But I'm not going to lie, I get stressed like, yeah, like everyone else. <laughs> um, like that first that first interview that I did for BBC Introducing, my anxiety was like there. And I was like, do I like do I go in? Do I not like the? Uh, uh, and I just, you know, bite the bullet and just be like, you know, this is what you want to do. The only person that's getting in your way is yourself. Um, so I think over the, I've had OCD for the last nine years now. And I think the beauty of it is that I've now become more of a, um, say positive person. I've had like more of, I've had a different outlook on life. I think is the best way to say it because I've got this thing that holds me back, but I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have that, because that's also projected me forward. If you get what, if, if that makes any sense, because, because these challenges have held me back. I'm like, I won't get anywhere in life if I'm allowing this to stop me. Um, yeah. And I mean, to be brutally honest, I was bedridden for six months when I had it. Um, couldn't get out of bed, missed six months of school. Um and I think, you know, my dad said to my dad said to me actually one day, he was like, You're your you're your own worst person. Um, if you allow this to get to you, you're not gonna do anything. And I think that's when it kind of like, I mean, obviously through like therapy and CBT and things like that and medication and my own kind of like process of getting somewhat over well, overcoming my OCD, that really kind of stood true in my mind and kind of made me think, you know what, F it, I'm gonna just get up and get on because yeah. there's no point sitting around moping because you've got a whole life ahead of you that 
you should you should be living it's a great attitude to to carry and it's also i really appreciate your openness and your your strength within vulnerability to share that with us because i can relate massively to what you're talking about you know i i do what i do however when i was young i suffered i battled with it massively when i was a young sportsman it was and nobody knew nobody knew because that that was a day when you do something wrong if you showed any signs of weakness it was classed as weakness if i'd have come forward and said to my mum and dad i can't stop turning the light on and off before i go to sleep and you know and and the negative thoughts you know if you if you do something you have a bad thought you've got to do it again until you have a good thought but then the, the, the bad thoughts get stronger and bigger because you try not to focus on it so when you try not to you focus on it even more um and i remember going through all of that when i was young and nobody knew just people used to sometimes say my mum and dad would say why do you keep doing that and i would just try and make excuses for it yeah. and i think i think what's great now is that people talk about it on platforms like this that you can go actually that's what was happening with me and I, and I am okay to have had that because it's a normal thing that people go for and like you said nine years ago when it when it triggered for you I still get the urges now and I still get them thoughts and I still get them challenges I think I've just learned over time to realize that actually by me pouring out that bottle of water and filling it up again it doesn't mean that a family member is going to die tomorrow because of that mm. but when you're younger you haven't got the ability to uh separate what's real and what's in your mind and you're so scared of if i don't do that that's going to happen to them that you keep doing it <clears throat> and it like the urge gets stronger then doesn't it? it can overcome you and if it overcomes you you're on a slippery slope we've got people on here tonight watching live that have been through very severe situations you know like you're talking about and i think it's great that you're sharing that with us when you said nine years ago harry like what happened nine years ago if you would share with us what what triggered it for you well there are two things that uh well three things actually um that kind of me my family and like therapists that i've been to have kind of put it into a, a bit of a circle there was a film that i watched which really freaked me out um hence why i'm not big into horrors uh it was a big supernatural thing um and that really just played my mind to the point where something just switched and i was like Bleh. um so on my podcast that i do called ocd and me i talk about like there's a supernatural form of uh ocd um that where like it's things like good luck and bad luck and uh things like that so but yeah uh, there was also a guy I went to I went to like a kind of summer school thing because um, I was failing business at school funnily enough and uh, there was a guy on in in that in that course who was just who just hated me and he was really really strange uh, it sounds really mean to say but he wasn't strange he, me and him just didn't get along um, and then that that just didn't didn't sit right with me um, uh, so that's where like I have this thing where I don't want to be bad people. Um, so yeah, that, and then, uh, funnily enough, uh, yeah, that was it. <clears throat> so those are the so two things, the, but yeah. And when, when did you start to realize you had it? It was on that summer school. Right. Um, yeah, it was really bad. I was there for a week and it was, I think three, three days in, I just, something went wrong. And I was doing things, like I was repeating things, like getting in and out of the bed, out of the shower. I was putting my clothes on and off. And yeah, it was it was bad. Um, 
And then it was when I went home and I saw my girlfriend and she was like, something's off. And I was like, uh, no, there isn't. And she went, because she saw me picking up my pint and dropping it down, you know, do it. and she's like, what's going on? And I think that was the time where she kind of, she kind of knew. And then her mum was, her mum is a nurse. So she was like, yeah, you've got some sort of like OCD. So then went to a, went to a therapist or a doctor and they were like, yeah, well, you know, long story. Yeah. We'll send you off to go see someone. And then someone diagnosed me with anxiety in the form of OCD. So that was, that was, that was what happened. But yeah. And amazing to know now that you've, you're, interviewing people that can heighten that kind of stress levels yet you've found strategies and techniques to overcome it to not hold you back and like you said earlier it was really interesting that something that could stop you becoming what you want to be has then challenged you to overcome it to still show that you can be what you want to be and I think that's really fascinating that you've utilized it as a challenge rather than a hindrance you're like okay I've got this. It's not going to stop me now. I'm still going to get to where I want to go. And to the point that possibly, and correct me if I'm wrong, it may have pushed you even more to, to do more to overcome. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I've got a big fear of uh, being unsuccessful. Like I've, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by people who have done, you know, well, well in life and stuff like that. So it's always been an inspiration and an aspiration to kind of like be like them. So I've always... Like, if I'm going to be honest, I used to think I was a bit of a black sheep of the family because my brother did really well at school. Uh, I wasn't that academic and, you know, things like that. Uh, Dad has his own business and things. So, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I wanted to make something of myself. And I think having OCD and having a kind of fear of, you know, I don't want to be unsuccessful really did drive me that extra forward to be like, I am going to be someone, someone great. I love it, Harry. Someone great. And you, you certainly are someone great. You don't have to be doing great things to be someone great either, which is important for people to know that we often, I, I hear it a lot with people when we, I talk about role models and supporting people and, and being kind and giving to give, not giving to receive. And people often say, well, I've got nothing to give. How can I be a role model? And I'm like, that's where you're getting it wrong. Just by saying something kind or encouraging somebody is, is all it may take on that one particular day when that one person's feeling low is for you to say, just give it a go. Just that one little bit. And you don't need to have a qualification, a certificate, or to be a multi-billionaire businessman celebrity to yeah. do that. And when we start to value ourselves more and know that we all have the ability to, to impact another human being through the words that we speak and the actions that we show, I think the world will become a lot better place because I often see people undervalue themselves too much that they don't feel that they can help anybody else because they're not what where they want to be but i think by helping other people it's like a mirror mirror you know when you start to help somebody else it's like you start to feel good so you do more for yourself too it's crazy how it works but it but it really yeah. does i remember in the early days harry when i was doing my talks like you said musicians write and sing stories about their life i would be stood on a stage or in a school and I was literally telling my life story as it was happening but people thought it was a long time ago yeah so I didn't actually say oh by the way last week this happened I would say what happened once to me was but because it was so real in the moment I could share it with such intensity because I could feel it because it happened two weeks ago 
And I think by being able to express yourself through the things that you're going through to help other people that can go, do you know what? I've been through that or I'm going through that. I think it's a beautiful way to also get your own life moving forward and on track too. And I think there'll be so many people, or I know there'll be lots of people that listen to your story and go, well, Harry's got OCD and heightened levels of stress and anxiety. And he's a radio, he's a radio presenter. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't do the things that you want to do. I think it just means that you've got to get maybe some support into helping you understand it, being brave enough to be aware of it and speak about it, to be able to move away from it and, and to keep moving forward too. So well done to you and thank you for sharing that, Harry. I really appreciate it. A question mm -hmm. I've got for you listening to you now is you, you talk about story and how much you like them. What will Harry's story look like in the future so if we were to have a we were to have another conversation let's say 10 years time what's some of the things that you will be wanting to share with the audience what you've done what you've accomplished places you've been is there anything on the horizon that you're striving for i mean ultimately to be a good person that is that is number one career wise you'll see me hopefully in 10 years time as a bbc radio one presenter uh, either the new Greg James or the new Nick Grimshaw. Uh, either one would be great. Or even Scott Mills, Chris Stark, Annie Mack. Any, BBC Radio One's where I want to be. That's that'll be that'll be fantastic. In more of a kind of short-term goal that I've got, um, I really want to present BBC local radio. So I'm currently presenting radio in a community radio station. Uh, obviously, I'm doing the interviews for BBC Introducing, but I want to be sitting where Alex Noble sitting either for BBC Introducing or sitting where one of my friends, uh, Henry Liston, is sitting at the moment on BBC WM. I'd love to, you know, you know just talk silliness, uh, play great music, do silly games, uh, connect with people within the West Midlands, find out their stories. Those are the two, two goals that I've got in my mind. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what's, what, what's some words of, words of wisdom you'd give to your younger self? Don't go to London and do that TV stint. Don't do it. <laughs> no, uh, no, to be, to be fair, no, I, I would, I, uh, that's a bit of a joke because that actually solidified me uh, wanting to do radio, but it did mean that I, I lost out doing capital radio, which is annoying. Um, but I also would not be at the BBC if I didn't do that TV stint. So it all works out. Uh, all I would say to my younger self would be um, never say no, carry on being nice to people. Don't burn bridges um, and keep lifting, lifting other people up because you have no idea if that person in the future will lift you up one day to a position where you want to be. Um, I love it. That is what one of my friends said to me last, no, a couple of years ago. Uh, she was like, never burn bridges. Um, and yeah, what I just said, because you have no idea in the future who will be in that position that you want to be. You're like here, they could be there. And if you burn that bridge, you're gone. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. be the, the so, kind of words of wisdom that I've got. That's so true. So true. And, and, and I'm at an age where it's starting to, to reverse the roles when I can remember when I was like nine years of age, Harry having a football coach and uh, 
you know, I looked up to this guy. He's a great guy, full of energy, full of enthusiasm, a wonderful person. He was my football coach. Fast forward 30, I'm 42 now. So fast forward 32 years later, I'm going for a walk with this guy for two and a half hours around a local park because he recently lost his wife. And um, fortunately, we became friends a few years ago on Facebook. Um, oh, 10 years ago, we became friends on Facebook and stayed connected. And when he lost his wife, I just reached out to him and said, you know what, if, if you ever want to have a chat with somebody outside of your circle, you know, feel free to, to message me. And he did. And we met and we had about two and a half hours just walking and talking and chatting. And, 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 it, and it felt really interesting. Like one minute I'm this little kid that's playing football and this guy's helping me. And the next minute, I'm listening to his story of what he's been through and and I'm just listening really and not yeah. not saying anything, just listening. And we've built this strong friendship since that because when you share things like that with each other, I think it really does strengthen that bond that you have. So what you're talking about there is so true. He raised me as a young kid and I was fortunate to do things I didn't think I could have ever done in sport. And now I've got the opportunity to be there for him 30 plus years later. So I really love the quote. We're going to make sure we clip that and, and utilize <laughs> that. It's a really great one, Harry. And Thank just you. before you go, or, or should I say, just before we give the opportunity for anybody on here to ask any questions of which they have for you, um, for anybody that does kind of find themselves suffering, and I'm talking about the younger generation here. So the younger generation that finds themselves struggling with anxiety or uh, OCD or any kind of mental health issue that they have, what message would you give to them? Um, a great support system is always good. Not always available to people, uh, which I understand. Um, but finding just one person or even um, writing stuff down in a journal really helped me as well. Uh, just being able to kind of put your thoughts on papers stupid as it might be uh it really does help uh, but a big support system is uh, well big or small any kind of support system is always good and don't be afraid to seek for help don't try and be a hero uh that is kind of the worst like thing that you could do you can't you can't fight the battle yourself essentially having someone or so like someone around you to kind of help you out is always um it's always it's always quite beneficial but as i said i know i know it's not always available but <clears throat> seeking help understanding that you know something is kind of up like that's quite a big breakthrough um it, it definitely was for me kind of stepping out of that denial of nothing's wrong but i was like that something definitely is wrong but yeah support um writing stuff down and just don't be a hero seek help that's that's what i would kind of say um if yeah. it is really bad but also don't think that it is the end of the world um one of my friends suffers from adhd and he he had a bad time and you know now he he revels in the fact that he he has it so um it's not the end of the world don't beat yourself up about it um it makes you who you are and that's a great thing i love it harry great advice and i, and I can echo that too um we haven't got time to go into the project that I touched on earlier, but I found that fascinating. If anybody wants to learn, watch, or listen to more about Harry's projects, follow his Instagram, which is Harry. Harry X Bosman, spelled B-O-Z-M-A-N. And just briefly, te briefly tell them about the project so they can go and seek it if they want to, Harry. 
So we're a group of six or seven young creatives within Birmingham who essentially like, we're seeking to shed light on the amazing things that Birmingham has to offer. So we're called the B team, uh, the Brum team. And essentially we've been going, we did a video, which is uh, best coffee in Birmingham. So we went to loads of independent coffee shops to try and find out, you know, not who's the best, but to give them light so people can understand what, what there is, uh, is to offer. Um, a lot of people think that London's the place to be. It is and isn't. Birmingham's amazing. So this is what we're doing. Fantastic. And Harry, just before we go, I just want to say thank you so much, not only for sharing your adventures from boarding school to college, university, to becoming a, a music um, and a BBC presenter, but also showing some of the challenges that you faced too growing up with your OCD and your anxiety and height and stress and, and sharing some of the strategies that you've developed to overcome and to still get to the places that you want to to you're a real for me a real success of life and the reason that you're on here is because I love talking to people that have gone from nowhere to somewhere and you've certainly done that and, and I've taken so much from you today one I've taken lots of energy I'm sat in this car in the Lake District super inspired and full of energy I could continue talking to you all day number two I love the quote that you talked about there about somebody may have lifted you you know so if you lift somebody else one day they may, may lift you and I think that is so important for us to remember and the third thing is just that you're still striving for more even though you've got so far you've still got goals in front of you that you're looking to achieve and there's so many things as you're listening that I want to go deeper into so maybe one day in a few months six months time we'll do a part two and we'll go again and see how far you've got towards Definitely. the things that you want to accomplish so Harry thank you so much no worries thank you thank you very much and if anyone does want to message me on Instagram then please do um, I'm, I'm here so yeah thank you so much for listening and being part of the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast I'd be really honoured grateful and super appreciate any shares and subscribes possible please give this to any family friends and loved ones anywhere in the world that you feel could take value from what you've just heard too Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to speaking to you real soon on the next episode. From me to you, have a wonderful day. Take care. All my love, energy, inspiration, Luke Staten.